Welcome to Living Chassidus. Together, let's live the Chassidus we learn. Here with the person saying, hear what he's hearing, and what he's hearing is like blah 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 blah. blah. Like, there's no idea what the person's saying. So the greatest challenge uh, became the greatest opportunity for expansion and for self-reflection, for self-awareness, and for motivation. But it wasn't it wasn't easy. So I ended up becoming an AP coach. Um, I got my coaching certificate to help primarily women who have ADD, and that's really I was only able to do that because of the struggle that I had. That I understood, you know, it's that's why people with struggle usually are the best suited to help than others Sorry. with struggle because we understand that experience. So the self awareness that 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 was, let's say, that was essential was just knowing, okay, I have trouble with focus. What am I doing with this? What am I doing with this challenge? Am I, am I getting to not be able to focus? Am I going to pretend like I'm paying attention? Uh, am I going to not raise my hand? Those are just, thank you. Those are just treating, um, those are called treating symptoms. You don't want to do that because then that actually makes a cycle that, uh, that often doesn't end where you want it to end. So what we have right now is where we are today. Where are you today? And then maybe where you want to be. Right, say in one year from now and 10 years from now, right? There's always going to be a gap. If there is not a gap between where you are and where you want to be, then that actually is an issue. It's actually good when there's a gap because then you're striving to become better every single day. You're striving to progress into yourself, the better version of yourself. Um, so there's different ways of doing that. Uh, I have a lot of tips. I would love to hear maybe from some of you uh, who may want to hear or want to share something that you know, struggle, maybe a struggle that you had that, that helped you discover something new. Um, before I, I go into tips, I just want to make sure that, that it's so far that I'm clear. I, I, I tend to ramble. I don't want to Ramble too much before, like mentioned. Um, is this resonating at all? Is it resonating? Okay. Um, if there's any direction that you want to go with any questions, I'm happy to answer them. I feel like this will this will be more effective in a conversation. Um, so yeah. Okay. No questions. Yes. The self crucial for like the discrepancy how we see ourselves and how other people describe us is that like solely for women or for all? Because I don't know. I feel like it might be like more so for women. And then I I like recently read Lean In by uh, Cheryl Sandberg, and she's like it's little intense. I don't like agree with everything in there, but she always says that like women in the workplace they will like put themselves down a little bit or like doubt their abilities. Whereas men, on the other hand, always like think they're the best and like need a promotion and all of that. So I didn't know if that like translated. Yeah, so that's a really great question. Um, it's, it exists amongst pretty much all people. 
uh, men, women, children. I think what you, what you mentioned about Cheryl Sandberg is I think she was just highlighting how with women, it's more magnified because women were seen as a minority, especially in the workplace. And they were treated like kind of second-class citizens. So they kind of felt like they had to, you know, prove something. And they had all of these unrealistic expectations and standards that they impose on themselves, right? So now we've come into a, a, an era where women are stepping up and saying, no, no, like we, we deserve more. But at the time, it's very, very difficult. They have all the standards. And the standards of you know, beauty, of intelligence, that the men just were not held to the same standards. But the men, the confidence in men is actually the other side of the coin. Because someone who, let me give an example, you see somebody walking into a room, right? And they're super, they act super confident, like, yeah, I've got this, I'm great at this, you know, no one, I, I'm just the best maker of field, business person you'll ever meet. Um, that may appear as though it is the picture of confidence, but it might not be. As a matter of fact, like it's not. I don't know if anyone um, heard of this, there's a quote called the narcissist all about things that are sometimes trying to like overcompensate for a lack of confidence by just constraints or lying face, which is also low self-esteem. So I don't know if, but I guess it's just more of a comment than an answer, but it's, I think that it exists amongst women probably more than men, which is probably why the dub experiment was done with men, because women do deal with more uh, issues related to image. And uh, maybe men don't as much, although there are, but men do now. Uh, we don't see it as much. Uh, but it's a great question. Actually, a statistic that says that if there's 10 requirements for a job and a woman only has nine out of the 10, she won't apply for the job. But if a man has six out of 10, out of 10 she will apply because of this. Yeah. I'm not good enough. I need this. Like, better, like, I, I, I can take it till I make it a woman, like, they're going to find me out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's like an external, um, like validation that men get, that women almost don't get. Yeah, it's a very interesting point. It's very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, um, you were mentioning an example of like let's say on cards and token, and then I just go into a topic. So what if I noticed that? You know, hard for me, but um, it's hard to, um, I don't want to, you know, so I, like you were saying, like, that makes me the most like that. How do I help you know, Yeah, yeah. It's just real. That's the, that's the, the ultimate key to uh, inner freedom and redemption. Really, I cannot stress how important it is break out of it and I yeah I, I have some, I have tips that I'm going to share with you all um, for how to break out of that cycle but I will say um, and I interview with uh, Dr. Dieter who's the uh, author of a book called The Choice which I highly recommend the one called The Choice um, 
probably the top three books that I've read in my lifetime. And she says, and it encapsulates so well, like this idea of breaking the cycle. Um, the opposite of depression is depression. And as long as we try to maintain this, I don't want to say facade because really we're all doing our best. I spent many years, you know, the reason I went into the field of psychology was to understand why we, and myself as well, um, engage in self-sabotaging behaviors when we know, we know that this is not helping in our work, right? We all know what we need to do. You know, we're smart enough to know that um, it's probably better to not fake it, right? It's probably, well, fake it till you make it. That's a whole other, you know, topic that we can cover. There's some truth to that, but it has to be very, you know, intentional. But being inauthentic and always being governed by what other people think, including people who are not our people, people that we care about, right? Um, that's a recipe for depression or anxiety or just not feeling uh, consistent about who we are and what we do. So yes, the, the whole point is break out of the uh, of the persona, who we think we need to be, based on the expectations of everybody else around us, right? Many and the expectations are different amongst different people. So that it's always constantly like, you know, changing. There's a healthy way of doing it, but I'm talking about the the, the way in which we do it that comes from um, a desire to fill a certain need that um, where the void was created from a lack of self-esteem, if that makes sense. So, you know, there's different ways of looking at it. The way I think it's important to understand it is that the more we feel aligned, right, in what we think and how we act and who we, you know, especially with who we want to be, right, when we act in accordance with, sorry, when we act in accordance with who we want to be, right, with a version of ourselves that we like, even if it's uncomfortable and it will be, there's no way of getting to that place without some discomfort. Um, the more we do that, the better off we're Did someone else have a question, question comment? Yeah. Sorry, a little louder. <laughs> right, that's that was like worth it. Great. That's twenty-two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's um it's the that's the very thing that I needed to complete the certification was the only thing someone's gonna gonna have to look was the only thing that um, getting in that way. They have a call. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had, yeah. So, <laughs> so one of the hallmarks of AD, one of the main things that people need to deal with is uh, working memory, last issues with working memory. So, even as I'm here now, I know that my working memory is moving past the agenda. There might be, you know, a point where I lose my train of thought and then, you know, 
special scattered notes, I might have to look back at them. But I like to, I like to feel organic in this process. You know, also, hear what I'm saying, the conversation happening. But how did I complete it? It was, um, so the great thing about it is that, and I didn't know this when I started. So starting, signing up for this course was one of the harder things that I had to do. Because um, that meant I was going to, for sure, get exposed. My ADD was going to get exposed if I had it. Um, when I signed up for it, I discovered that more than half the people in the course had ADD themselves. So these are people who had the diagnosis, who were, again, who were self-aware enough to know that they didn't want to continue in the cycle of not being true, you know, truthful about who they are and what they struggle with. And uh, they also want to prove themselves. Most of them are just going for their own benefit. Like, let me just figure out how to do this. Um, might as well just become a coach, sometimes a super coach. So, um, so that's, I got through it in that way because no matter what you're struggling, it doesn't matter what the nature of the struggle is. If you have a point of connection with other people or with somebody else, then the struggle becomes okay. And it's not, it doesn't become a crutch. It actually enables you to own it. If you don't struggle, raise your hand. If you don't have a struggle, raise your hand. I wish. <laughs> but you know, it's, I used to say I wish, but I actually don't wish anymore because our struggles are teachers. They're probably the best teachers that we can ever have. Anyone who's been in a relationship with someone for a long period of time, it could be a parent or a sibling or a spouse. I think a spouse is probably uh, it, it more so because they don't have a blood relation with step parent. Um, you might notice that there are more triggers in those kinds of relationships because things show up. You can't get out of it. You know this person too well. And so you might find that the areas where you get most, you know, emotionally um, reactive. If you kind of dig a little deeper, there might be something in there that you can explore by yourself that can help you become a better person. It's interesting because, like, there are certain things about my mom that, like, drive me nuts. She's an amazing woman. But some things about her that, like, I'm like, yeah, mom, mom, come on. And then I kind of take a second and I'm thinking, I kind of do this sometimes. I do that very <laughs> often. And I have, I have to call myself out on that. Because otherwise, I'll just keep getting annoyed. It actually helps me become less because I need to kind of share those characteristics, right? So I need that point of connection, and that's helpful. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay. Anybody else really confronted right now? <laughs> I hang out with my mom. Oh, you know, I have to work on it by myself. <laughs> I just like to advertise my problems to the world. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, I mean, whatever it could be in a relationship or, like, it's funny, I used to get uh, really, like, offended and hurt on, like, you know when a flight attendant will very hurt and firm with you? I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this, but like, man, <laughs> put your seatbelt on. <laughs> and I and I was so hurt. Like, she, why is she mean? I guess she had a semi. I don't know. I'm not worried about my safety. I get all of these, like, you know, narratives in my mind. Like, 
why but maybe she didn't sleep well the night before you know maybe she had did a double shift like it was interesting that like the the triggers were less about her and more about me right so it just kind of helps us become more self-aware okay um the great thing is that Let me start here and I'll go to create But um, we're very much prone to uh, comparison. We compare ourselves, it's natural. When we're born, we're measured, right? Like you're put on a chart, like you're in this percentile for weight, you're at this percentile for height, for you know, intelligence, like there's a spectrum. Where, where do you fall on, on that chart? So we are conditioned to feel like we're measuring, we're on a measuring stick and it's always in comparison with something. So that's a big part of, of um, you know, the reason many of us kind of stay stuck because, well, why would I do this if there's someone else better speaking? I, I grapple with this every time someone asks me to come speak. Why, would, why are you asking me? There's this person who's, who's probably more qualified than I am. You know, there's always this measuring yardstick that's going on in our minds that prevents us from growing because we'll maybe never achieve it in this area or in that area. And um, so it's natural, right? When we're adults, our whole lives we've been told, you know, oh, why can't you be people? Maybe not all of us, but some of us. Why can't you be more like this person? Why can't you be more like that person? That's always the, you know, the conversations that we have uh, going on in our minds. Now, the only, there is no comparison that in the, in the world that we constructed, that's how things appear to be. But in the world that Hashem created, the only comparison that we can make is between us and I, but it's really, it's us and God, right? If I'm comparing myself to Hashem, compare yourself, it's not a, it's not a comparison. I am not being compared to Hashem, right? And when you say I'm nothing compared to Hashem, that's called humility. That's humility. When you say I am nothing compared to this person, compared to this standard, that's low self-esteem. That's the distinction. In both cases, you're saying I am nothing, right? I'm unworthy. But in one scenario, you're saying I'm unworthy compared to this person. Therefore, who am I to do anything? I'm going to sit down. I'm not going to. Say anything, I'm not going to do it. I stay motivated. And then we become, and when I say we become, I'm, these are general interpretations. I'm not saying everyone does, does this, but it's very common, um, you know, having like seen clients in my therapy practice that, you know, I, I, it's just there were a lot of like consistent things that showed up. I am not enough. I am not enough. smart enough because this girl has a name, right? Um, 
the current state of our, I would say, society is very much, uh, I'm not smart enough because I don't know right? Uh, I'm not skinny enough because I didn't teach this part of the way. I'm not pretty enough because I don't have that person's nose, nose or eyes, whatever. It's, there's many different reasons. Um, that's, that's one way of looking at, at our world. Another way is, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not prepared to Hashem because Hashem is the ultimate truth. So Hashem created each of you. Hashem created you with certain skills, certain talents. And having a healthy self-esteem means knowing your skills and your talents without any delusions about yourself that were, you know, to you however they were fed to you. Magazine, from a billboard, from the news, from the from a movie, whatever it is. Self-esteem is knowing I have strengths, I have limitations, I am human, I am nothing compared to Hashem. But also Hashem created me with a purpose for a reason. I'm here for a reason. My mission is to find out you know why I'm here. And so long as we're running away from that, then we're running into we're running into uh, the space of inauthenticity, which can lead to anxiety and mental health struggles. And virtually every mental health diagnosis, not all, but most of them um, have a very good relationship with low self-esteem. It's usually like, you know, one and the same. Someone's coming in with a struggle. It's like you just dig, dig, a dig. Low self-esteem is right there at the bottom. So if we can kind of dig in and understand what self-esteem even means and why we're struggling and how we can overcome the struggle, then we're all moving to this place of really of godliness. And it's a very beautiful place to be. And if you think of the closest place you've been to that feeling of godliness, it, it can either be when you felt very connected to the person that you were talking to. It could be when you were able to help someone with the struggle that you had and you felt the sense of like pride that, Finally, this challenge, you're understanding why you have it. You're understanding the, you know, the reason that God gave it to you. So I'm going to share just a few random tips that I felt were extremely helpful for me and for some of the clients I've worked with, for some of the people that I've met, um, and also on, on my podcast, which the podcast was really the result of the whole journey of growth that, that I had to go on. Um, which I'm still going on because we're always growing. Every day we're growing. And it's it's really, it's grown beyond, beyond our expectations. And I think it's because we're willing to talk about things that affect us in a real way and not speak things under the rug because we understand. And I understand that having, you know, I've been a therapist for not so long, but long enough to know that this is a these are universal. And if we can just understand ourselves, our inner world, and understand. Um, so the, the training process, including training process here, so very little. I mean, I spent my lifetime, you know, being the helper, but um, officially, like, not even a little less. How would you balance the mindset of a together? But then, like, it's hard. I feel like it's a hard balance to be like, okay, I should this way. I have these talents. That's also being like, 
but I also do the harder or do something else. They're, we're kind of like, you know, like Yabi Sahara, like, I'm ready to them, they don't want to forget. I feel like it's a very hard balance. I just that, like, it's action, but then also, like, but then I want to work, you know, like, it's like, okay, I'm writing it down because there's two answers to that question. So first thing is that um, there's process and then there's outcome. And what we're doing in order to get to the place you want to be, if we're enjoying that process, right, which is called process, if we're enjoying that, then whatever the outcome looks like becomes less important. And then no matter what happens, we're always going to be in this state of presence of mind where it's always going to be as though we're we've arrived, like we're content. So we'll always be striving in a healthy way. So let's think of a practical example. Um, thinking of something that think of a goal. The goal that, that you had in mind, trying to think about huh? Okay, that's a great example. Okay, so let's say you have a target victim, right? You want to lose uh, this amount of pounds. If the goal is to lose the weight, not only will you not, if the goal is solely to lose the weight, not only will you not enjoy the process, but you're less likely to achieve the outcome. If you can find something that, that helps you enjoy the process, not only are you more likely to lose the weight, but you're also more likely to continue in the in the habits that you want to continue in your circle. So I'll give you an example that I do. I love I love listening to podcasts. Um, and so I will reserve podcasts only for when I want. It's like I've I've imposed this rule on myself. That's if I'm gonna share with you too. Um, actually I'll share it with you now because it's relevant, but it's called manufacturing motivation. So sometimes we're not inherently motivated and exercise is a great example, right? I don't know that when Maybe once you get the momentum, it, gets, it becomes like a routine, then it gets exciting. But to start exercising out is not easy. So manufacturing motivation means I know I want to do this, but I have to set up my environment so that I am as likely to do this as I can possibly. So I'll lay out my sneakers and my workout gear um, and all the things I need to work out. I'll download the podcast I want to listen to, like a really good one that I've been waiting to listen to. And so when I wake up in the morning and I, I have trouble, like I always have trouble figuring out what I'm going to wear because I'm just like a little bit tired, but then it's already laid out there. I put on my sneakers and my workout clothing. I mean, <laughs> it's on, so you might as well. And then you go outside. And then once you go outside, you take the first, anyone who's started a workout knows that like if you can do the first 30 seconds, you can do the first, let's say 10 minutes. If you have 10 minutes, you do 20. If you're 20, that's kind of how it is. Like when you find a way to enjoy the process, huh? One step at a time. Yeah, exactly. Small and steady, slow and steady. So that's one answer um, is that to really find a way to enjoy the process as much as you can. So that way you'll be in the state of, yeah, you'll always have a goal in mind, but it won't be like, I need to get to that goal. Otherwise, I'm going to be so upset. Because that's going to make you better. 
Um, the other thing is, this is actually a, a, a Hasidic concept, and I don't remember the source, but I remember someone hearing it in the Torah that this is great for workaholics. This is great news for workaholics. Is that we have to believe that Hashem is running the world, right? There are people who exert every effort in their life, right? Go to work from 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. and they have not achieved the whatever the goal they wanted to achieve, right? Maybe they're not making enough money to make it to the next level, right? They're not making as much money as they wanted to. Then you have people who are working a four-hour work week and they they met their goals. Why? According to our perspective, is that Hashem is the one who calls the shots. We're just making a deal. Now, what workaholics are doing, essentially, is they're saying, Hashem, I got this. Don't worry. I don't I don't need you. I I can I can this myself. So I'm gonna do work. I'm gonna neglect things that are important. I'm gonna neglect things like connection, you know, godliness, prayer, things that I know will enhance my life in a real way. Um, because I wanna make the next dollar or I wanna get to this next level of goal. Um, and then Hashem sends us subtle reminders of So this was the concept states that we have to do, it's our job to do, to make it feel, still do what we feel we do to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Do enough so that you can say that your success is because of you, because of your efforts, but not so much that you're in the workaholism zone and then you're no longer do enough to say I made the case. And I'm thinking of a practical example, but you want to make sure you put in the effort, but not to the point of not to the point where you're exhausted all the time because then what's the point? And this is kind of to be a little tricky because sometimes you have to, you know, sometimes you have to work those hours and the rules are different there, but that's just point kind of thing. So I'll share some tips in no particular order. And one of them is going to be more of an exercise that you can do. I think maybe it's better to do it, um, yeah, like later tonight, you go home or at any point. But, you know, first remember that when you're talking about comparison, there is no comparison. There's no other you in this world. You cannot say that there's another identical person who has my DNA, who has everything I have, who I can compare myself to. If there was someone like that, then I'd say, okay, go for it. Same DNA, you're the same person, let's see if you can do better. We can compare the best. There's no one else like you. You are the only you on planet Earth, in Hashem's world. You cannot say, there's no precedent either. Like there's no, there's no, nothing to base what you're doing now off of. Yeah, except maybe your past, learning your past, you know, to create a better future. So every moment you're create, you're being a co-creator of your life with Hashem. And that's very powerful. That means that this moment will never happen again. Now this moment will never happen again. Right? Now this moment will never happen again. It's just, it's amazing. Every moment is very, very precious. Um, so I'm going to just, I wrote a lot of them down. Some of the tips are just in the form of things that will help you be more self-aware um, and help you become more fulfilled in whatever way, you know, you want to. But one thing that I thought was very powerful for me is to treat yourself like someone you're responsible for helping. 
Because whenever you're questioning, you know, what should I do? You know, what's the best way to move through this challenge or this situation? Well, what would I tell my best friend to do? And it's likely that that's probably more accurate description of what your life should look like. Because again, you know, you're, we often will compare our insides and outsides to somebody's outside. It's not a, it's not a fair picture. Sure. Treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. Another thing, another concept is that your life, our lives are journey. We're on a journey, right? Life is a journey. And if you're going on a trip, you're packing in a suitcase. You want to pack what you're going to need for the trip, right? So if you're going to a tropical climate, you're probably going to want an umbrella or a raincoat. So imagine going on a trip with no luck, no suitcase. You know, something you didn't pack for. It can be hard. So you want to be proactive, right? You, you know, know yourself. We each will know ourselves better than other people know us in most cases, right? We're um, want, if you're wanting to be more self-aware. You know, what's your proverbial umbrella? When you wake up tomorrow morning, right, what are the things that you know, like, that you could say now, right? It's so, so much easier to plan for the future. The future comes, but, you know, suddenly we have something called present bias where we just want to do what we want to do now and forget what we wanted to do yesterday, you know, that we knew would be great for us, right? So plan ahead. So what is your proverbial umbrella look like? So I know um, if I want to eat healthy, I need to have healthy food within my line of vision, right? Walking into the kitchen and there's cake, I'm going to take cake. And if I walk into the kitchen and there's a fruit plate, I'm going to take the fruit plate. I'm lazy, there, right? So how can you set up your, uh, you know, set your journey, let's say, proactively, right? where you can make sure in advance, because in the moment it's a lot harder, uh, to set yourself up for, for success. Now, we discussed the visualization, right? If you close your eyes, the simple close your eyes, if you visualize, you know, what your best self looks like, you're more likely to get to that place. Um, and this is the exercise I think it'll be helpful. Um, I actually still do this now, and I always think about it, because it's so, it's so hard to find, uh, it's hard to find a role model. Right, it checks all the boxes for you. And it's very important to have a model because you're you're growing into you know a better version of yourself. It's good to have people that you can look to and say, you know, I respect this person, I want to be more like <coughs> So the exercise is as follows. You um, think I'm actually gonna read it. So I was able to find the source online. I I just today I really wanted to have um okay, I'm just gonna read it. Okay. So think of seven to nine people you admire or who inspire you. So these could be parents, teachers, um, historical, fictional characters, anyone. If anyone has this podcast, okay. Um, it could be a leader or a famous figure. So another way to identify them is to ask, you know, who, ask yourself who has influenced you in your lifetime, right? Who you look, looked up to, okay? So once you have a list of these people, five or seven, you're going to write down what you admire about them. And then you want to find the common denominator, things that keep showing up. And usually those are the things that you aspire to. 
And that's another tool for building self-awareness because when you know what you're, you know, who you aspire to, what you aspire to become, it's easier to know how to get there. Right? So who do I want to be like? Now, if I have my list of people, then I know if I'm packing for a journey, I'm packing for a trip, to go to that place, right, to be more like that person, then I might have more tools available because I don't know what I should do, but I know what this person Maybe I should be with that. We, um, my podcast partner, Rivka, she said she doesn't even come here. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, okay, yeah. So Rivka and I were in Dubai last week. Rivka, uh, Rivka she, um, she called me with this opportunity. Uh, uh, there were a hundred widows who uh, were flown out there for a beautiful experience trip, and we went out to do a program um, for them. And they, so 96 of them were Israeli, did not speak English. Maybe a few that spoke a couple words of English. Two women spoke English, maybe two to four words. And I asked the coordinator, why are you calling me? I don't, I don't speak Hebrew. Why did you get someone from Israel? She said, they wanted, they wanted to work with them. And so we had to find a way, and it was so interesting, we had to find a way to communicate in a different language. They, they couldn't communicate with English words because they didn't speak English and I didn't speak Hebrew. So what we did was we took this seven role models um, project, this exercise, and we brought it to them. We did it, we, I spoke in English. I played piano and recruiting um, songs and we chose seven uh, women. So Sarah, Rumpel, uh, Esther, Malthus, different women biblical uh, biblical sources and we we shared what we admired most about them. we said their names what ended up happening which was incredible was the, the women shared the same name as these heroines biblical with, um, heroines got up and they shared with the crowd and he and, and i understood the pieces um how they connect to these women and how they want to be more like there's one woman, so one of the women that we chose was Rebbe Sakana, Rebbe's mother. And so Rivka and I, we both shared what we admired about them. And Rebbe Sakana was very uh, resourceful and she was optimistic. She missed, I didn't know, I actually know this at the time, but she, she was not able to go to her son's wedding, Baba's Rebbe's wedding. She, didn't, she was not able to be there. And she was devastated thinking that she would be able to celebrate her son time this was her only son at that time. One had one had been killed before. Um there was a which she had it's the oldest right first parent she fresh up. But she did she didn't go to her son's wedding and instead of being sad and mourning she could have been there she uh, she celebrated invited guests over to our house for a party mm -hmm. and so one of the women so we, we asked you know if anybody else has the name Hana they can come up and share you know what they most admired about and one woman came up and, was Hana, and she started to cry and she said I was crying just you know feeling her her pain um, not knowing what she was to understand the content but she missed her son's wedding because of COVID and oh. she said uh, she said, had I known this, I would have thrown a party, but I didn't throw a party. 
I just sat there and I was watching how responded. I was upset. I was thinking about how much I was missing instead of thinking about the beauty of being able to see it on, on Zoom. First of all, being able to at least witness it back, you know, from Rebecca's day, there was no way of seeing the wedding. So it ended up being very impactful and, uh, and emotional and very special. And I think it's one way of just stepping into uh, the person that we want to become. I think that really our potential is limitless. I say this from a place of, uh, you know, authenticity is not enough of a word. I just can't think of the right word, but it's certainly for me in my own life. Um, knowing what I, I, you know, what I did, and what I was able to, you know, get through the challenges that I was able to overcome, um, I feel like if I can do it, I think anyone can do it. So I would love, you know, for you, if you'd like to do this, it could be amazing. Just not even out loud, but it would be more beautiful if you could share it. Something that you can commit to doing for yourself to honor the incredible person that you are uh, and to recognize that you have a unique potential that no one else has. No one else has it. And if you, and if you don't step into the potential, that saying, Hashem, I've got this, right? Because you've got to recognize that Hashem has given you your life and your soul and your talents and your strength and your limitations for a reason. Let's not say, let's help me understand why this existence here right now is significant. And we need a chef to do that. And sometimes we need friends to do that. Sometimes we need mentors to do that. But I know we certainly need um, an authenticity where we can be open about how we feel in a safe space with each other. And to say, you know, I'm struggling with this. I'd love to bounce this off. I'm feeling with this. Is it just me? And then a good friend will tell you, it's just, it's just, you're amazing, right? Um, and that's really everything I have tonight, but I would love to hear from you. Yeah. What's your name? Sorry, I didn't Nama? Okay. Can you just talk about the food and not getting down into the food and talk the beginning, like trying to do your best self, like how to not focus just on the ending and going now? Because I think it's like this is a question for you as My question is how you're going to get done. Because, like, what's doing that moment falls short of your goal. Okay. Yeah. So, okay, so two things. And I, I don't have to write down because one of the ones that I mentioned, I'll just kind of, I guess, maybe reiterate. One of them is, mm -hmm. is the manufacturing motivation of uh, finding a way to do that. Um, if it's something that is hard for you, I, I feel like an, ex an example, do you have a, a practical example of something? I feel like I don't want it to be esoteric to like boxes. Let's think, um, yeah. yeah, not like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I wish I would think about this. Yeah, 
and you want to get you want to be clear or bent it's like a good kind of a goal because you have like image but you don't want to get stuck on that image because you're able to walk so it's frustrating you're like blocking <laughs> so that tells the Oscar general we want to change but not if it means change <laughs> So <laughs> when it's said that way, it's kind of like, oh, I work on my mind. <laughs> I feel like that's an example. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes. I mean, like yes. the amount of hours that actually worked out in my brain would be like really thick right now. <laughs> really thick. Yeah. It, it could be Olympian. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just. So interesting. It's like the fact that we know we know the things we need to do, we just have trouble doing it. So there's there's two ways that the first we could work on, you know, identifying what thoughts are sabotaging us. That doesn't always right. Challenging our thoughts is not always gonna get us to get then there's the reality of like um, the the small action step, the little things that are too you can't you can't get out of that, right? So I can't get out of putting my sneakers on when they're right by my bed. So whatever the equivalent of that is. Another thing that that I've seen um, that actually I tried once, I'll, I'll share how it's funny. It's called the five second rule. Five second rule is well, usually the first thing you think of, oh, something falls on the floor and I get there again, pick it up in five seconds. It's not, it's not dirty. But there's another five second rule where um, kind of like when you go outside onto the them with your sneakers, right? Five seconds, then you're good to run. So there's a period of five seconds. And tell me if I, I don't know if this answers the question, but but I might need to hear the question again just so that I can, you know, uh, make sure I, I understood it. But the five second rule is essentially saying there will always be a period, five seconds, where it's almost like the um, that moment of truth. Am I going to do it or am I going to not? The mind is always going to go to easy way out. Easy way out. By the way, being resentful, angry, all of those things, all of those emotions are easy way out, right? It's easier to be angry at someone rather than acknowledge what role we have in what went down. So in the five seconds of following that desire, do something. There is, once we recognize that it's just five seconds, it feels more doable to do the thing. So I'll share my, it's a silly example, but my husband has been trying to get me to try wake surfing for probably three years. And all my kids do it, and um, they've gotten great at it, and I'm just, I'm terrified of cold water. Cold water is very scary for me. I think maybe when I was a kid, that lake, I don't know, something just happened. But, and I, I think my, my mother is Russian, and so they used to freezing cool. And I mean, women that then used to, when they went to the mikvah, my grandmother went to the mikvah, in, you know, cold water. Um, so anyway, I, I just couldn't do it. And then I heard about the five second rule, and um, and I just jumped into the lake, and I couldn't believe it. It was like it was the most uncomfortable five seconds that I physically that I experienced in a long time. And then. After that, I saw this great research about um, cold showers, uh, and that's like so far fetched. I'm never taking a cold shower. It's 
possible. And then I started to see more and more research about the benefits of cold showers in the morning, where it can actually boost your motivation, like physically, or they can actually get the dopamine levels in your in your brain going. Dopamine is is the neurochemical that gets you feeling motivated. It has other uh, other roles, but that's one of the main. So the five second rule is. I hate this for five seconds, but I could do five seconds. Five seconds is so little. It's just nothing. But then after five seconds, you realize then you can maybe do a second more. And then those little things perpetuate that, that change the form. But I, I, I have a feeling I'm not fully answering. So ask the question again. Like how, how can you work on changing mindset? All sorts of changing mindset. How do you not fall back to like the feedback loop of lowering your self-esteem to get to the goal of changing mindset? Okay. So the feedback loop is very dangerous thing because it's basically what's happening is negative thought is coming into your mind and then your or a thought that's not helping you and then you're believing it. And then like I, I said earlier, where focus goes, energy grows, right? That thought has entered into your mind and taken over some, taken some space, right? Rent free in your mind. And uh, then it starts to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And then that becomes a perspective negative cycle that in kind of suck you in. The only way that I think is effective is literally like short circuit, I think that's the word. It's just halt. What? Like short circuit? Yeah. No, yeah, but then you said it different halt. 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 Um, halt is an acronym uh, for Huh? Breakfast ball? I think so. I was like, we've heard that one. Actually, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yes. 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 Yeah. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? I'm always all of So let's talk about one at a time. So yeah. yeah, so first you focus on the things that you can do. Yeah, I mean, most of you know that on some mornings you'll wake up and you feel good. Some mornings you don't feel as good. And then sometimes you're angry. Sometimes you realize, oh, wait, I didn't eat. That's why I'm feeling a little bit off today. So you want to like kind of check those things boxes first. And then after that, look, if you check all the boxes, okay, I slept okay last night. I ate a nice, a healthy enough breakfast. I got some vitamin D. I went outside. I walked a little bit. I I had my proverbial umbrella for my journey and still I feel out of sorts. Still I'm not motivated. Then outside help might be necessary. Or not even then. I feel like having a therapist or a coach or a mentor or someone you can go to is beneficial for anyone. There's no harm in doing it. As far as I'm concerned, I can't think of anything that, you know, that can, that can be disadvantages about getting a, having a therapist. So I would say that try all the little things. And if the little things don't work, then then seek help. I don't know. Does that answer the question? Lonely, tired. Lonely, tired. I'm curious if you don't mind. Mind. I want to hear a little bit more. That I get very inspired, and that's my way of being motivated. Mm -hmm. How were you able to? I mean, you said a little bit, 
you know, he said my unconscious. So, like, did it was it, it was it a kid like a small, a very step by step? Did it work like that? But all of a sudden, it just you know it was a flow one day, and it all made sense. It all came together. Just curious, you know, because I am in the process, and I, you know, I don't know. I guess I'll you know what the work could be or whatever. Okay, so I'll give you an example from today. Um, I set my girls up and uh, a little longer than I thought. I knew I was coming to the concert, um, and so I went. I went back to the place that I was staying, and I started to prepare, but it wasn't enough. It just simply wasn't. But I knew that I had, you know, I think, many workshops before, classes before, and you know, I know that the, the like the golden nuggets, like the important things that have helped me in my own life. And so I think that enabled me to be here today. I know that Hashem, I'm here to share what I know, share what I have, and Hashem is open to um, I, I, I made the case. Maybe next time we have more time. But um, the point is that my that the whole theme, I would say for me, is to start before you're ready. Because there will never be a point in my life where um, I feel like okay, but now it's been safe. It, I don't think I think I'm throwing that out. Yeah. Yeah. Start before you're ready. Start before, before you're ready. ready. And uh, it's it's important to understand. I just want to clarify what that means. Because start before you're ready doesn't mean go on a marathon before training for it, right? You're not gonna run ten miles before you run one run. The point is, like what you know, what I mentioned earlier, that Siddha concept is like Know that you did enough that you can say, okay, you know, if this goes well, then I know it's because of the effort that I put in. Um, but not to feel that if you're not spending 25 hours doing something, that you should. So whether it's, you know, starting to venturing into something you've never done before, or maybe taking a, a chance on something that gives you some, some anxiety, right? so different from the person, you know, like going into a room full of few people, be very anxiety knowing, look, I'm showing up here. I'm not ready to be here, but I know that I'm not better off staying home, you know, ruminating about how maybe I should have gone, maybe I shouldn't have gone. Um, another thing is that I find there's a lot of truth in um, the idea that it's better to try uh, than to not try. It's better to say I tried and I failed than to say I failed to try. So it's better to do the thing right with the right intentions, with the right values. That's not the whole other topic is values, right? When you have strong values, you have something to the foundation, foundational principle that you can work on. You know, so you can stay focused. But, um, so did the self-esteem come from you, for you from doing small steps and then you're like, wow, okay, so you did that. And then it felt like that, or did it work a different way? So it's such a interesting question. Um, the self-esteem, so as as a teenager, I I struggled with low self-esteem. I didn't understand where it came from, but it was just something that, that I dealt with. Um, the things that I was doing in order to increase my self-esteem were the wrong things. And 
they were the wrong things because I was I was asking the wrong questions. For example, um, anyone who's been a people pleaser, right? And I find a lot of people have this tendency, <laughs> right? So what what question are they asking, right? The question they're asking is, how can I get people to like me, right? That's the question. So if you're answering that question, what are you doing? You're going out of your way to do favors for people, maybe at your own expense. Maybe you're, you know, always trying to say the thing that the person wants to hear as opposed to what you actually feel. You're trying to be the person that another person wants you to be as, a person, as opposed to the person that you know that you are. So when you're stuck in this place of answering the wrong questions, then that actually makes yourself seem worse, right? That actually can perpetuate this negative cycle. So what was happening is I was saying, okay, how am I going to have better self-esteem? Is let me get my friends to like me better. So if my friends like me better, then I'll have better self-esteem. So me, I would, if someone said they liked my shirt, I actually be like, oh my God, totally take it. Or, you know, I love your shirt. I've given away things that I still want. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? And so it was interesting, like, and my friends would all say, oh my gosh, you're like the most generous person I know, which was so sweet to hear that. But if it wasn't coming from me, if it was coming from an external force, it was not, it was not feeding my neshama, right? You can give, but not from a place of, I, I'm giving someone the person like You can give from this place of, I have the value of giving because it's who I am, it's part of my, um, it's part of my identity. But it's not created from a place of, what I call like a scarcity mindset. Which is a popular term about how you know, like you're getting from place of life. So over time, right, I started to learn about the importance of questions. We have to spend significantly more time working on our questions than the answers. We're not doing that, right? We're working so hard answering the questions, the wrong questions. Imagine taking a test and you don't, you don't, and you read the question but you didn't understand the question, and you articulate the most beautiful answer. But it's the wrong answer, you're not going to get any points for it, right? If you understand the question, answers are not easy. So questions, really any question that you ask, it's like a problem defined as half solved. So it's an Einstein quote. So like if you can understand the problem, you've already solved it. So many of us don't even understand the problem. So if someone will go into a therapist's office and say, um, you know, I can't deal with my mom. She drives me nuts. How can I get my mom to stop driving me crazy? That's my question. If that's what I'm working on, getting my mom to stop driving me crazy, I'm in for a long haul, right? I could say this, but my, my mom is the sweetest, nice person. There's no, she'll know this is not about me. But I think a lot of people struggle with their relationship with their mom. That's what I'm sure. Um, so what's the question I need to ask? This is not the right question for me. It's not getting me to where I want to be. I could spend years trying to change my mom or my sister or my brother or my husband or my child, but that's not, that's not the question to answer. So what's the question? Um, so back to, to my experience with self-esteem. The, the question was, how do I increase my self-esteem? Well, let me do it by becoming more popular. Let me do it by becoming smarter. I wasn't the smartest person. I didn't feel like the smartest person. And I wasn't as far as my class, and so it's always like let me work on, you know, proving that I, I'm smart, proving myself to others. And those things were good. And those things did help build a certain kind of 
for confidence, but until I was able to acknowledge that all of those things are uh, good in and of themselves, but only if they're coming from a place where I recognize that I am a that's really essentially the fit. Until you realize that you are godly, right? Then you're in the physical, you're in a physical realm, and it, it becomes like almost like a hamster wheel. You see, there's so many people who have reached tremendous success, tremendous success, and they're still chasing something that's not finding, but they just don't have that core of this is, I I am I am Shem. Once you have that you're in that realm, then, but we all know that, that we're all we all know that, but how do we, you know, really, we all know that, right, we're all here, we know that, but how do we really, how does it, yeah, how does it, like, how does it become, become real for us, so uh, how did it become real for you, so self-awareness, and realizing that the questions I was asking were uh, not yielding answers that I, that I needed, um, Feedback from people around me that I trusted, loved, about, um, which I still seek out all the time. You know, does, does this make sense? You know, I just something, someone to talk to. So that was a big part of it. Having that community and friends. Yeah, and that, yeah. That's you know, interestingly enough, I, I do not have one issue. I have been looking. It's, you know, it's like a, it's like finding a soulmate. You know, some people find it at nineteen. Find it at 40, 50, 50, everyone finds it in their own time. Um, but we're always looking, we're always striving to find the person. Our best bet is uh, by truly knowing what we need, right? What do I need? If I know what I need, then I know what to look out for. Um, so I don't, and I don't have one mentor, but and that's why the seven mentors project is so helpful for me because now I have all these amazing women who also struggle with self confidence. Women who, you know, often dealt with, you know, worry and anxiety, fear that Sarah was kidnapped. You know, she dealt with, she was childless most of her life, and she had very difficult years. And it actually says, all her years are good. You know, why? Not because you're actually physically good from you know, your perspective, but because she recognized that it's all her steps to mission for her. And so she saw it as. So it's a combination of things. It's self-awareness. It's it's really tapping into you know our feelings like probably my mom and it's, it's a daily it's a daily uh, practice. It's not something one day wake up and say, oh, I have. It's not not an aha. Maybe it's an aha moment when you realize. And I was curious if there was an aha and all like flow. It all comes with flow. Right. Yeah. Because there's never flow. Um, I think there were several aha moments. Um, for me, I think it was pairing up <coughs> my podcast partner, uh, who, you know, having that person to talk to and vice versa, I think was very, very empowering. It's very empowering. Like I, would not, I don't know that I would do that myself. Sometimes you could do it yourself. Sometimes maybe you might need some buffers or help. We know what we can accomplish on our own and what we might be a little bit more. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
learn how to have a conversation, have talking points, right? Um, so let's say I have talking points, I've prepared myself to go into the social situation, and it's likely, and this is not certain, this is not certainty, but this is, there's a likelihood that it won't resolve the social anxiety. It's not, you're not having social anxiety because you don't like very conversation. You're having social anxiety because it's something deeper, or deeply rooted. Yeah, so you're basically just thinking the point. Yeah, no, please. Finding the source. Yeah. The source. Just, yeah, exactly. Digging deeper. There's something called the therapy where trained therapists are, we're trained to know that there's always a presenting problem and there's all the stuff underneath it. Usually, what they're coming to therapy with is it's very different from what the issues. So what you're coming to therapy with is the initial question you have. How can I get my husband to love me? How can I, you know, be more attracted to the people maybe will accept me? How can I, uh, you know, how can I get my dream job so that I can make it on the social map? These are these are surface questions. They're symptoms. They're just the treatment of symptoms. They're on the surface. Um, and those are questions that we ask answer our entire lives and that we resolve the issues that we find. So when as we're digging deeper, it's saying, how can I come to a place where I recognize that whether or not somebody likes me has no bearing on my value as a human. Let's just say that's that's here it's a question that gets you closer to question you need to ask. I'll tell you what the right question is. What I believe the right question is is how can I better connect to myself, to others, and to my God-given I think that's a question that really hits at the core. And then take that question with you and say, so if I'm in a room, there's a lot of people there. If I'm asking this question, how can I connect to myself, to others, and to my God-given potential? And you're walking into a room, and again, some 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 anxieties need to go through process of therapy and our methods of working through you know symptoms. But I'm saying this is just sort of like a an initial you know starting point. You walk you walk in there and you say, Hashem, you put me here, so I'm not going to try to control, right? I'm not going to I'm not I'm not you know, pushing you out of the picture. You are here with me. So just guide, guide me in this process. And when you're in that mindset, it could be something that, <coughs> that feels very lofty and esoteric and like not something that's easy to achieve and that it isn't because nothing, you know, very worthy for ourselves. Oh, not nothing, but those things aren't very easy, you know, if they're ultimately um, going to be like, worthwhile. <coughs> Help us grow tremendously, right? Just think it require a little bit of stepping out of our comfort zone. But, um, you know, if we know that Shem is with us, then we're better equipped to, to walk through our day with contentment, with a sense of um, sense of peace. The Shem put us. I didn't. I didn't make myself. I didn't put myself here. Hashem did. I didn't choose to be born. Shem chose to be in this world. So let me figure out what's why I'm here. Why is why does Shem want me? 
And it, it, there's so many different ways of finding out. And I think, you know, Rabbi Shay's Taub, who I'm a very big fan of, he's a rabbi, he has tons of videos available online. And I'm sure that there's many people, but, you know, there's great links that I can share with you that you can share with everybody. I mean, those people, you know, I just scratched the surface of, you know, different concepts and ideas that resonated with me, but he really is at the core. He helps you discover you know, where, why, why Jacobson and people out there now because it's so accessible to us. Media and classes like these are life-changing uh, concepts. So accessible. Um, you listen to them. Listen to those. I think that they'll better answer whatever questions you have. Um, so, like a lot of times, that we know you have like limited, like a little louder. A lot of times, you know, you're like you know that like you have limits, like but like sometimes those limits are worked out. Like, like how do you know like myself like allow like where where do I stop and like that's a really great question. So um so self esteem really is knowing your strengths and limitations and being realistic about the role that they play in your life. And what So what I think is when you don't know, like, should I do this? Should I not? Am I cut out for this? Am I not? I think feedback is very, can be very helpful, right? Is bouncing it off of someone like saying, hey, you know, hey, sister or a friend or a husband or brother, um, I'm thinking about doing this. I just wanted to get your, you know me very well. Is this, do you feel like this is unrealistic to me or is it worth trying? Because other people's feedback is usually better than your own. Because we have all of these, you know, stories and self-talk that makes our uncomfortable much harder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I bounce off my, my husband. He's, he's extremely, you know, like he's very clear on what, uh, he's assertive. I think assertive is the right word. So he could say, yeah, this sounds great. I know that if he says, "Yeah, go for it," I think you should. And I know that, like, I have, I, I have a much clearer picture in my mind. Sometimes it's hard, and it's just me. So I like to say yes. I'm still a yes person, and I still have people pleasing tendencies. It's not, it's not something that disappears. I've come a long way, like, you know, made tremendous, tremendous, you know, like changes, and and thank God. But still, like, I'm always inclined to say yes. It's always a yes before a no. So if I'm saying yes to everything, then I'm saying yes to nothing really, because then I have I'm I'm, I'm I don't have the energy I need to you know show up. So and I've learned over time. So I took I think took this this opportunity. What do you think? Should I do this? This is too much, you know. And I'll say, oh, that's the day that you leave camp with the kids. Maybe go to New York and do it on that. You know, Zoom classes. I think anyway. So I think it's a case by case basis. It depends what it is, but um, I think. It's hard when you don't know your strengths enough to try to do certain things, right? So let's say there's something you want to do, but you don't feel like you can do it. You don't feel ready or you don't feel, you know, uh, capable. Um, and so you don't really know until you try. And sometimes you have to just try and take that risk, right? Let's assume that you, you spoke to someone and you're still not sure. Sometimes it's worth maybe taking that initial plunge. Or the five seconds, like you know, something cold water, and then seeing what comes of it. Um, 
You will need yeah, sacrifice from yes. yeah. 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 So so just I think it's like that that cycle of like asking like that cross right. It has to be someone that you know that you're supposed to for advice, yeah. Then maybe to use a little bit I'm closing my eyes and I'm, I'm picturing, you know, my best version of me showing up somewhere, what would that person do in this situation? I think the role model exercise for me um, has probably been the most useful. What would this person have done? Even though I'm so, we're so going to be, you know, farther apart, like worlds apart, but still, you can still gather wisdom. Kind of thing. Um, so it, it actually started with the quote saw. Um, it's, if it's not a heck yes, it's a, that was the first thing that I saw. Okay, not a heck yes, it's a no. Um, let me start from here. Um, but really what it was is that uh, if you knew that your yeses, true yeses, wouldn't you be more willing to say Notice some things, as opposed to your true yeses, your yeses were not true yeses. Because if you're saying yes to everyone, you're essentially saying yes to no one anyway, because are you fully showing up with all the yeses? So if I know that saying no to someone is actually saying yes to myself, if that makes sense, or if I know that when I say yes, I'm saying capital white S yes, which means sometimes I have to say no. Yes, to real yeses, you know, then that makes it more digestible. Even though it's still hard to say no, being truthful, like it's definitely hard, um, which is why sometimes I, I say, you know, let me think about it, let me get back to you, kind of give me some time to process. That's been helpful also. But I think knowing that um, I want to be able to show up fully, and I can't do that if I'm being everywhere. At once, that makes it easier. Hope that like answers a little bit. There's definitely no like magic one thing that you know. Then it's not a, resentful, then I just 
said, I really said no to them. Yes. Huh? You don't really say yes. You're not just like you said before, you're not just like that. Right. Right. And it's not helpful. Right. Exactly. So this thing, nobody really benefits. No one benefits. Also, especially if there's the underlying sentence. Let's say you say yes, and then you just like, go, here I go again. I said yes, now I have to do this. I have to do this. And I should, should. Like, there's a term called shoulding, right? I should do this. Um, 
One is um, forget about time management. I think time management has become like, you know, a uh, trending word that I think needs to be banned from all productivity conversations. Um, maximizing your day in the way that when you get into bed at night, you feel content that it was good. It's not about time. It's, it's about energy. And those are two very different things. Is that you could spend, you know, one hour on your work and get more done than you would spending eight hours on it, right? So you have to know, you know, what part of my day is best suited for this thing, right? For this specific task or, you know, conversation or, or whatever, it is, whatever it is you want to accomplish. First, you have to know what you want to, you know, what are your goals? What are your life goals? What are your daily goals? And then work from there. So I know my, um, I actually don't give night classes at all. That's why I mean, I, I, 6.30 is even like pushing it. But um, because I know that, it's, <laughs> and by the way, there's, and even when I go to a night class, I know I'm only absorbing maybe five or 10% of the information there. Um, I, I just, just, this is how I am. So I know that if I need to do anything that's, um, that requires mental energy, it's only happening to be the trend or maybe earlier from a phone. And then after three o'clock, and look, this is just, this is me and I, I'm, and everyone has different responsibilities. Everyone has different jobs. We're all multi-role women in a way, you know, because everybody is a child of someone at some point. Um, some of us have siblings. Some of us have, you know, elderly parents that we take care of. So it's all about managing your energy, not your time. Forget time. And also another tip I actually just recently discovered that I did not know about was forget to-do lists also. To-do lists, if you, I mean, if you have had a to-do list in the past, you'll, you'll know <laughs> that, that it never <laughs> is empty, right? You'll, you'll, oh, you'll, yeah, it's just a piece of paper to remind me how much I failed today, like over and over <laughs> again. And like, ugh, right. yeah, I have so a lot of them. They just remind you of what you didn't do, not what you did. So uh, an alternative to that is to have a time log. Now here's where time, it's not time management, it's time log to manage your energy. So you're taking your energy and you're putting it in the time slot. So I'm saying that, you know, I, um, let's say from eight to 10 is when I do the um, research or, you know, articles or podcasts or whatever. And then after that, there's breaks, these little micro breaks, like five minute breaks where I get up and literally you run around the house and jump tracks for if I'm at the office, just like, you know, quietly jumping back. Um, but just keep, be aware, like, you can't, I have ADD, so I know my focus capacity is very limited, but most people have maybe like a, between 20 and 30 minutes. If you watch any TED Talk, the top TED Talks are never more than 20 minutes, maybe 25, because they know the attention span is limited. So just know your attention span is only allowing you to focus for 20 minutes, right? Get up and do something. Manage your energy. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's all that I can think of now, but I'm sure it's important to come up later. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't feel good. I think it's a little bit of a big class. And basically, 